practical universalism can only be overcome when we, one, take sin seriously, and two, take salvation seriously. That is what God did, the gospel, what God did. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as sometimes, by Dave Platinum Plus Van Vickle. How you doing? <laughs> Platinum Plus. I'm good. That that intro took mm. me on a journey. That's it what did. I'd say. The tones and the <laughs> and just the whimsy, the, the whim- whimsy that you, that you spliced through there. You know, you need you need to find a way that you take a similar product that everyone's used to, and you got to bring a little delight, a little whimsy to it. Yeah, right, right. right. Bishop Barron calls it being winsome. <laughs> Winse- yeah, yeah. And I'm I wish I had that. Winsome. I wish I had that. I know you're just gruff. you are. You're more than that. You're more than I am for sure. Well, it's because I think I watch more TV than you, and I can reference that quickly. Not I'm like, all right. Here we go. Simpsons never quotes. the answers. Never. <laughs> TV is always the answer. It's a cause of and solution to all of life's problems. <laughs> Do you know where I got your nickname for uh, Platinum Plus? No. It's uh, it's the name of the tripod sitting right across from me. And I looked up and I was like, oh, there's a good one. Platinum well, Plus, I, Dave Invickle. Well, I am very stable. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Haha, <laughs> son. So what are you up to now? You got a, you got any uh, speaking gigs? You doing any traveling? Um, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I was, I did a little thing locally here yesterday. I got one tonight and it's a new talk. So I'm pretty excited about that. You know, what is it on? What are you, what are you talking about? It's just on God's love. But, oh, no um, big whoop. No big whoop. But, um, well, no, I mean, I guess I say it like that because I didn't know the topic until like Friday. And then <laughs> I was like, so finally I called and I was like, Hey man, I've talked at this parish like seven times. Like I cannot, like you need to tell me a topic. And he's like, Oh, God's love. I was like, okay, I better write something. I better do something new. Nice. And then at the end of the month, I'm going to do a conference. Have you ever done this conference in Boston? It's called um, the hope conference, hope conferences. No, I don't think so. I like they reached out and I had never really heard of them, but I was like, I was like, yeah, sure. And now I realize like, it's like Peter Herbeck, bi- like big names. Oh, like a lot of, very cool. Yeah. So uh, like Matt Marr is going to be there. So. Oh, good old Matt. Yeah. Good old Matt. So cool. What about you? Uh, what am I doing now? I'm going to be going up to Prince of Peace in Plano oh. because in a large part in, from our series here, I always go up there once a semester and do a young adult talk, sometimes once a year, but mostly yeah. once a semester. And they have a wonderful young adult ministry. Joshua and Aaron, they just do such an excellent job. Is that Josh Schwartz? Is that who yeah. that is? Yeah, 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 he's awesome. He's awesome. He is. He is. And they make an awesome team. They, him and Aaron, like really reinforce all the best instincts. I think in parish-based young adult ministry, they just they're killing okay. it. Okay. And so uh, I'm going to be going up there and doing a talk for the parish because they are basically from our series on uh, the reciprocity between faith and the sacraments and the sacramental economy. Yeah, all the stuff that we talked about. For them, uh, they live in a, they have a church. It's a church in the round. Um, right. it, it is, and so they're saying, like, to the people who built our church, and now we're building this new, very, you know, like a cruciform church, all this stuff. Sure, like they don't. Some of the people, some of the people don't understand why we need to do this, and why in in departing from the traditions of sacred architecture, like understanding the nave, understanding the cruciform, understanding the altar and the sanctuary, and all this stuff, they said like. 
it's it's gotten hard to kind of make the pitch even that we need this or should have this. And they said, we think you would do a great job explaining it. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's that's a perfect yeah, job. Yeah, and I'm super excited because here's one thing that I have noticed in my life, and the more I examine it, I the more the more true it is. I am great on sacramental catechesis, and I am terrible on liturgical catechesis. Like, okay. And I realize this is very true among what we can call them conservative Catholic churches, right? So there's traditional conservative and then whatever. Right. The idea is that conservative churches will tend to emphasize and double down, like, you know, in the 90s, in the early aughts, it was all about apologetics around the Eucharist, the true presence. Yeah, right. Are right. you communicating that, teaching that? But from the liturgy stuff, they largely stayed away because there be dragons. What are you, a rad trad? You know, that rad trad's really a later. Well, it's, it's more thing, difficult, but, too. It's, yeah. it's, it is more difficult. Yeah, because and what I've realized over the years, uh, really over the last four years, is that there is because from the 60s or really 70s onward, we have educated people's desires to expect a certain thing, which is largely um, the genre of Irish folk music incorporated within the mass. Because we've accepted that as the norm, things that are older just seem, quote unquote, old. And for people who push old stuff, they seem rigid. Right. And right. to people who, and they don't want to cave on the Latin and the Gregorian chant and all that stuff. Sure. And then for people in the new stuff, the, the, the constant battle cry is no, you can have the new stuff. It just has to be good. Yeah. And I hear that all the time. And there's, there's an allergy to the old. And for me, it's not about the old being old and that's why it's more valuable. It's about the old being connected to liturgical principles. Whereas the new is like, Hey, here's a topic and we'll sing like, I am the bread of life. And it's like, okay, but that's different than singing the Tanta Mergo or the Banje Lingua or whatever that are liturgical. There's devotion and there's liturgy. And once I made that understanding, all became light to me. And even the structure of our church, like there's liturgical art, right? which in that, oh, Dave, that church of the epiphany, what a gorgeous church. Oh, it yeah. melts my heart. Oh, you haven't even, there. so so there's been a big development. So, oh, what happened? They pushed the, Alter forward, and now we've uh, he's gone ad orientum. So that's what uh, that's the yeah. parish has made the switch now. So that's uh, wow, that's very interesting. Yeah. So the the thing about that church is liturgical art belongs in the front near the altar. And I said, what the heck is liturgical art? It's eschatological art. It's the art of end times. It's the final judgment of Michelangelo. It's right. the second coming. It's um, the Pantocrator that we see in all the Eastern churches of Jesus. Right. It's like a stern-faced judge, which is the one that we have or that you have in um, the Church of the Epiphany. And you look at all these things, and it's like devotional art of like saints. You put them on the sides. You put them in the back. But apocalypse, and I was like, why is that? And it's because right. the mass is a participation in the heavenly liturgy of the lamb standing as though he'd been slain on the altar and all the book of Revelation stuff that Scott on his lamb supper made popular. And I'm like, ah, that makes so, all yeah. of Europe just became, uh, just made sense to me right now. You right. know, it's right. like, so yeah. trying to help people cross the divide between devotion, which can be subjective and liturgy, which ought not to be subjective. When is um, that talk? Because people like to go to that, I think. Um, yeah, so it'll be on, oh, I don't have my calendar with me. It's like April 16th. It's whatever that Tuesday. I think it's, oh, man. I'm sure, I'm sure it's on their website. I'm yeah, sure it's Prince on their of website. Peace in Plano. What a beautiful church. What beautiful so, people. Beautiful so, people. So they just got a new pastor, and mm. I don't know why. 
I can't tell you the story. I don't know when I interacted with him, but sometime as a child, he made a big impact on me. Catholicism. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I probably not as a child, but probably like seventh, eighth grade high school. At some point, I encountered him, and he made a big. His name's Father Michael Forge, mm. and uh, and he's what he's a, a cool neat guy. Last name. Yeah, what a cool name, Father Michael Forge. Forge, right? Yeah, welcome to the <laughs> Forge. He's so awesome. Hey, oh man, okay, I hope so, he's also an MMA fighter. Go on. <laughs> okay, so I have a question for you today that you have not heard. I'm dropping yeah, this bomb this, on you for our discussion. Eight today. minutes in. Eight minutes in. Yeah. I don't know. It's a mystery topic. Right. Okay. My question for you is this: Do you have any tips? Or what are your thoughts on how to, as an evangelist, as a catechist, as a man, a human <laughs> being, a member of the human community, yeah. combat practical universalism? Practical universalism. Well, the assumption yes. that everyone's going to heaven and acting as if they are? Not so much the assumption, but act the acting as if, yeah. Like, so I don't think that, I don't think most people are necessarily guilty of heresy. But I right. think that they're guilty of acting as though they are. They're material heretics, not yeah, uh, right. formal heretics, the old right. Thomistic distinction. Okay, so universalism, the, I, the belief that uh, whether you're talking about the end judgment or immediately when you die, everyone ends up in heaven no matter what. Universalism is expressly condemned by the Catholic Church following many teachings of our merciful Lord and Savior who taught more on hell than anywhere, anyone and anything else in the Bible. So we need to acknowledge that fact, number one. Number two, what we need to do is realize if there is a hell and if there is a heaven, then we stand under judgment from Christ. Like we live right now, our life as the pilgrimage, we're, there's only two destinations. There's no third purgatory. Well, like purgatory is not a destination, right? Right. It's a right. purification. Right. It is not a destination, heaven or hell. So then we step back and we say, okay, there, as C.S. Lewis says so brilliantly in The Great Divorce, hell is, when we look back, uh, those in hell will look back at their life on earth and say, earth was always a part of hell. And those in heaven will look back on their life on earth and say, earth was always a part of heaven. Right? Yeah. Right. And so I think very, very really practical uh, universalism can only be overcome when we, one, take sin seriously, and two, take salvation seriously. That is what God did, the gospel, what God did. I think the reason why when you go to churches that are functionally universalist, you don't hear about the atoning theology of Christ. You don't hear about sacrifice at all. Whether you're talking about homilies, whether you're talking about first communion preparation. I have seen first communion books that because I just audited all of ours that do not mention the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that do not mention the holy sacrifice <laughs> of the mass. Yes. Okay. Yes. So the reason why I say that is the only way to overcome a practical universalism is if there is skin in the game, right? There, our pilgrimage means there's judgment, right? That, that this is real, that heaven is real and hell is real. I am convinced that universalists don't think either of them are actually real. Huh, I don't think is, they think heaven is real. That is... Not what I expected you to say, but that's interesting. Well, I mean, come on. If you think heaven yeah, is real, right. and now what's our definition of heaven? And this is one of the things that I find that is repugnant about the new atheists that I find all the time. What is heaven? Oh, like I get to, basically it's, okay, I won't use my idiot voice. <laughs> I'll have a little, 
I'll have a little charity here. But um, heaven is this pleasure banquet. I get to enjoy whatever you know I have that I want, I get in heaven or whatever. And that's more of an Islamic view of heaven. That which is forbidden down below, we indulge in up above. Yeah. And that is not the Christian view. Here's the Christian view of heaven. Union with God in Christ Jesus for all eternity. Right? So if if heaven is defined as absolute eternal communion with God, that means I have to be ready to receive him. I need to be living a life of grace. I, I don't think they take heaven seriously at all. I think they are they not only are they act as if everyone will be saved, but that salvation is no big deal. And salvation is a very big deal. You can never earn it. The perfect saint, Mother Teresa, could never have merited heaven because it's literally God's own life. So if you think of heaven as union with God, not some vague like, hey, we're all brothers together. No. All encompassing absolute eternal infinite union with god then we can't downplay disunion alien it robs us of the very nature of sin as the threefold alienation of god others and self the the practical if i could sum up one phrase that that gives me what the essence of practical universalism is you're okay i'm okay right yeah right but that's not heaven heaven is not being okay for eternity right See, that's why I say that. Okay, I've talked a lot. What do you think? No, I, I think I think you're right. I think essentially what you're saying is teaching. Teaching better is what. Okay, so let me say that. All the stuff that I just said yeah. was nothing practical. Was nothing practical. No, no, it was practical. I mean, certainly well, first it's for a catechist it would be. Yeah, first it's conceptual, right? So I have to lay it out. Like, it's like Code of Canon Law stuff. The very first paragraph is the theology, and then all the subsequent laws that come after apply that theology to the life of the church. So if you're talking, how do I practically oppose it? Number one, restoration of the kerygma. Number two, calling people out to repentance of their... Wait, stop. So do you, where where do you, so what do you mention? When do you mention hell in the kerygma? Oh, literally every day. No, um, (laughs) every time I talk to clergy. Um, No, like, okay, not just hell. See, See, this is the thing is, yes, it's about heaven and hell, but I think even more so... How it relates to the daily life is the hell that we create, a.k.a. sin. So it's about a, when you talk about the kerygma, God saved us for eternity. He, he didn't just save us from an eternity without him. Yes, but he saved us for right now. And people who are universalists, right now doesn't matter, right? Because the end is already predetermined. So the means to the end, it doesn't matter. Right. And so the first thing is, so you can say, start with the end, preach the reality of heaven first and foremost. Secondarily, preach the reality of hell. And third, preach the reality of sin as my creation of hell, my cooperation with the devil. See, I said the devil, not darkness. You have been in my head since last week. Every time I've talked about it, I'm like, Satan, <laughs> the devil. <laughs> I even went on a Quora.com and answered a question about the devil. A, a personal, personal fallen angel. <laughs> so anywho. But uh, talking about sin and then talking about sacrifice. Why sacrifice? See, this is one of the things I think that when you get into churches that are practically universal, uh, yeah, universalist, you will find that the Eucharist or the Mass is not a holy sacrifice. It's not the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Right. The Mass is the table. The yeah, altar is community. Just right. The table. Yeah. Right. And I think that is not even if it's a not intentional, it's absolutely not coincidental. 
It is an alignment. It flows forth from a theology that minimizes the reality of judgment, the reality of sin. Of course, it is about awakening brotherhood and sisterhood within us all. It's about the community more than it's about God. And a really fascinating thing, there was a guy um, named Mike Winger. He's an evangelical Protestant, does not like Catholics, but he is a, a great guy to watch his YouTube videos because he's so systematic how he takes people down and what, or discusses issues. I shouldn't say he takes people down, but he went through <laughs> what is the origin of progressive Christianity today. And it's funny because it's all these evangelicals, but for him, the the foundation stone of modern progressive evangelicalism is a Roman Catholic priest named Richard Rohr. Yep. Right. And from Richard Rohr's cosmic Christ theology, right. you have all of these other things that spill out. I, I do not understand how this guy has not been removed from any sort of public teaching office. But actually, I do, because most parishes in most churches in most dioceses are functionally practically universalist. The cosmic Christ is about awakening what you already yeah, have. Yeah. Well, OK, so that's a good point. Richard Rohr, though, like if you're passing out cosmic Christ, that's more than that's more than practical universalism. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you're getting into Buddhism at that point or, or Hinduism, you know, like, right. I mean, yeah. you're getting into very his strange stuff. His, his pantheistic conception that is not in any way. See, the problem with him, though, is the problem with the evangelicals that um, and, uh, and I'm really big into like doing the research on this stuff for evangelicalism. It's the deconstruction movement within progressive Christianity that comes from evangelicalism. They still use the language of yeah. the church, right? And they use concepts. They borrow them whole cloth, but sometimes, eventually, I should say, words take on new meaning. So salvation is not anything to do with me giving my life over to God, me repenting, me surrendering. It's not, um, what is that great line? Uh, trustful surrender to divine providence, right? Yeah. One of my yeah. favorite phrases to describe a conversion. Right. It's not that at all, right? I'm not surrendering anything. I'm becoming, right? I'm accepting my own divinity. And it's uh, like, nope, 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 yeah. nope, 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 nope. That's the I'm, opposite of the gospel. I'm glad you brought up Richard Rohr because he's actually the reason I asked you this question and <laughs> it, it, indirectly because okay. I, so one of the things I do at parishes is, you remember that guy who was super famous? He was a professor who got cancer, and he did the last class lecture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, at Harvard, what, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah, some big institution. I can't remember, but uh, but one of the things I like to do at parishes is like I'll I'll do this like where I'll do like the last words of saints, like a pre like. We'll oh do yeah, a series, you've talked to me you about know? that before. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, and and I'll usually pair it up with someone from the parish saying like, "Look, if you had, if you only had thirty minutes, like to give advice, like someone who I trust, like it'd be like a testimony almost, kind of, you know, like I'll have the pastor, or maybe a deacon or someone like that, you know, also do their last class lecture quotes, you know, in air quotes. It's a cool little series. People like it. Okay. Well, what I found is that it used to be so shocking to people to hear that someone like St. Therese of Lisieux was still on her deathbed, like nervous, mm. you know, like not nervous. I shouldn't say that because it was because fears from the devil, but like a healthy fear of God still had a healthy fear of God. And like, you know, still was like basically in, in desperate need of God's mercy. Okay. Like that was disturbing to people for a while. And now what I have found is that they have, 
modernism has just trumped everything. And so they say like, well, yeah, but if you read Richard Rohr, like it's like he's more developed or like more evolved than those medieval crazy saints who are still afraid of hell. Come on. That's right. crazy, you know? Right. And so I yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been thinking about wanting to do some sort of an event similar to like the book by, that we talk about all the time, Gergou Lagrange, the the love of God and the cross of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, I would like to do a one like a one night event on that for the specific purpose of combating universalism because mm. because I think and you keep saying this, it's it's bugging me every time you say it. Parishes that are practical universalists, it's I'm like, what parishes do you know that are not filled? With practical universalism. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the problem of our times. I, You know what? I really, I think you have nailed it in a very big way. Because when I, okay, so we get a lot of complaints from our parishioners about our, our new priests. And one of them that is so common. <laughs> our good friend. Our good friend. But one, well, not just him, but both of them. Both of the new priests. And uh, you yeah. could also lump in Father Matthew in it. But the common thread that unites a lot of these complaints, you can say, and I don't think I'm being unjust at all. And when I summarize it okay. this way, okay, you are making me uncomfortable. How dare you? Oh. No. Oh and, my gosh. And so like, and I say this in a, in kind of like a meta analysis of the stuff because like w the complaints of why is it that in your homilies you're telling me i need to do things why is it i need to change stop saying this you know like literally telling us to stop just explaining the three <laughs> readings uh why right. are you doing this in lit why are you talking about the sacrifice of the mass that was another comment parents why parents parents for first holy communion why are you telling me uh that you know, before they enter preparation in our diocese, it says you must do an assessment before they enter sac prep. And one of those questions is, do you receive Sunday Eucharist? That's the way it says it in the diocesan stuff written in 1996 um, that we still use. And I think that, and I'm happy that we still use it from 1996. Lord knows what I could say now. But the idea of it is, if you aren't going to mass regularly, I'm not going to get, I'm going to delay your child's entrance into sac prep because it doesn't mean anything to you. And so you right. see this, like, how dare you? I mean, that's the, that's how they lead. How dare you deny? I'm not denying. We're delaying until you get your life right with the Lord. My r life right with the Lord. How Are dare you? Crazy? you? Right. Oh. Yeah. And so it's something that uh, you see in confirmation, first Holy communion, first reconciliation. Like for instance, I mean, one of my favorite stories that illustrates this point is there, we do family reconciliation services, right? So we encourage the kid who's making the sacrament to bring his family, his or her family, and to go to confession together. Oh, that's so, that's so right. good. So, that's, but I, now you've just yeah. prolonged confession by five or six people right. if everyone goes. Right. So we tell the parents, okay, if you don't come uh, to confession, like that's fine. Like I wouldn't go. If I took my son to confession, I wouldn't go because I go to confession all the time and he sees me going all the time. But for most kids in confirmation, so we had a class of uh, 228 people that just got confirmed. Of that class, I would say probably 180, maybe 200, haven't been to confession since their first confession. So by doing Yikes. family penance services, 
what we are doing is we are one building bonds with our current clergy, not just having priests come from around the deanery, around the diocese, but we're trying to build it with our current clergy. So they're building that relationship, but also getting their older siblings to come to confession right. and they're back. So we had the tale of two men. One man uh, went up to my wife. And if I ever find out who this guy is, he is, I told him, I said, if you're going to call me and I'm going to fly down, <laughs> I said, I said, Shannon, if you can figure out who the guy is, I will remove him from the program. I will, I will, I will go so far because he was like threatening. He was in my wife's face screaming at her. And what was he screaming about? You ought not to let other, other people than the kids go to confession. So what did he do in response? He stood in front of one of the lines and stared stared cross-armed at every parent who was going to confession and he just stared at what them. a psycho while yeah. his son is in line to go to his make his first confession right another guy comes up this is the second man comes up to my wife and says why are you having kids go you know we've been in line for an hour and chances i know in the emails and in all of our communication this is family penance service so we want you to be able to go if you want to go if it's been a while for you blah 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 so one confession line was formed just for the kids and one uh father david did and he said i'll stay here until midnight if i have to i will hear every confession and guess what guy number one leaves in a huff his kid stayed in that one line and he leaves and he like mouthed off to my wife as he left and i'm like really great witness to the gospel that is a man yeah. who thinks who so devalues the sacrament that it is a car right. wash to him how dare you delay my it son's is. car wash it is the other man came up to my wife at the very end, weeping, saying, thank you. It has been like 17 years since my last confession. A little See. boy came up crying, crying, and came up to my wife and said, it's been 20 years since my mommy made her confession, and she just did it tonight. Huh. So a little unprompted seven-year-old boy thanked my wife for giving his mom the opportunity to be restored to grace. When you hold sin up, you hold repentance up, you hold necessarily forgiveness, mercy, the beautiful gift yeah, of the gospel. Right, up. right, right. Why do people not see that? That if you're not a sinner, you don't qualify. What the <laughs> heck? And it's like, it's funny, you know, that, I don't know. I've, I've been thinking a lot about Easter Vigil too and just like, you know, the especially the Exaltet, you know, which is like the most epic. And I just prayed that with thing our ever. teens in, in your world. Yeah, I, I mean, it's so, like it's kind of like something that I think if I had a parish again, I would, I would like tell the catechists like start with the exalted, like start explaining it and tell them why, why it's important, right? That sin entered the world so that we could see the greater love story, right? The, the greatest love story ever told. I, I just, I think, I don't know what the, the answer is practically like in a parish life. I, I mean, other than teaching, I think you're right, but we have to like, like you know, once the bishops like solve our our, our Eucharist problem, which we'll see, you know, I only spent twenty million program. dollars to solve the Eucharist problem. Yeah, right, right, okay. Then maybe it's like continue that group and say, okay, what's the next crisis? And the next crisis, obviously, is or probably the first crisis was this universalism. Yeah. You know, I mean, we have to we have to take this much more seriously. I just I think like. Even like catechist programs at universities, when you and I were younger, you learned apologetics. 
when we were a little bit older, you learned natural apologetics, like, you know, the new atheism. And now it's like, okay, how do we combat the heresy of, uh, well, several, you know, modernism, you know, universalism, all these kinds of things. Because I just, I'm, I'm convinced that that is the problem of our time. And, and it, and I, and the reason I, I never diagnose problems from the masses. I always diagnose problems from working disciples, Mm. you know, because if, because if you see it a little bit amongst them, you see it everywhere amongst people who are not, not trying to be intentional at all. I'll tell you, my heart is broken every Sunday because I have to teach freshmen. I, it's called life team year one. And it's their ground level formation. I'm going through the Bible with them. I am so thankful. We got we to gotta throw out to a commercial here. But let me tell you, I am so yeah. very thankful that Ascension Press is doing their new venture Bible study with Mark Hart and a whole team of people to teach cool. the Bible timeline, basically Jeff Caven's thing. They're redoing it, renewing it. It's all new stuff. I have, I have consumed, without them sending me anything official, on my own every inch of pr stuff for this program because this is what i'm trying to teach to the teens to be able to have uh an insanely high quality video resource with the small group resource i'm failing on the small group resource because i'm like i don't know how to teach this that's not in a classroom format and i'm like yeah because then i'm gonna go give the teaching on the covenant of abraham and then it's going to throw right. out a bunch of small group leaders and it's like, okay, well, why don't you do a Bible study on the binding of Isaac? Right. I don't know really how to do this, but I leave and I'm so disheartened by apathy, by all this stuff. And then I meet their parents and you're talking about 300 kids. I can't get to know them all. No, there's no way. And then I meet their parents and I'm like, okay, it, it makes sense why there is a widespread apathy. But I think the practical universalism is the is the poison of which it's the resulting poison that's infecting our communities of which the kerygma and the kerygma alone can respond to right like can answer preaching the love of god that is transformative that rejects sin and that sin rejects the love of god's transforming nature because the sin sin says i am my own god and god says humble yourselves and worship me and we don't want to do that well when we come back i'm going to tell you why i think you're exactly right as always if you have a question for us email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com we'll be back in a minute are you ready to know saint joseph in a personal way father mark toops adjunct faculty member for the institute for priestly formation and presenter of rejoice and Oremus brings you in St. Joseph's footsteps, 30 days of meditations. It may be daunting or challenging to get to know St. Joseph, but through in St. Joseph's footsteps, you will not only get to know St. Joseph, but the Holy Family as well. Walk with St. Joseph through 30 days of meditations using St. Ignatius of Loyola's imaginative prayer. From the betrothal of St. Joseph to Mary, to the presentation, and more, you will walk through major moments in St. Joseph's life. To learn more about In St. Joseph's Footsteps, 30 Days of Meditations, go to ascensionpress.com forward slash Joseph.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Niche About. Thank you so much to Ascension Press, the wonderful, wonderful patrons of our podcast, the stewards, the shepherds, the guides. It is so funny because we're about to um, renovate the show. More on that much later when we actually can meet and discuss the details. But we're going to re- yeah. uh, reevaluate the format of this show going forward. Because, you know, you can hear me and Dave basically say a lot of the same things over and over again. It's when we bring on guests and how they bring their expertise to bear that I think um, the principles manifest. And all the wonderful questions y'all are sending us. I think this show for Ascension Press, this show is going to be the best listener-created show. So ladies and gentlemen, send us your questions at EKSB at AscensionPress.com. About once or twice a month, we compile these questions, see if we need to answer them individually or on the show. We would love to have your evangelization and apologetics question, whatever it might be, um, natural philosophy question, God's simplicity, you know, all the things, modal collapse, whatever. Uh, just kidding. On this show, we want to talk modal about collapse. it. Modal collapse, man. If I hear that phrase one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. Tedawaki. <laughs> Survival. We could do that. Yeah, sure. Uh, but Dave, all right, now let yeah, me bring it home. Bring it home. All right, let me tell you. Let me tell you. So last week, uh, do you know who Father Sean Kilcolly is? Kilcolly? No, I don't think so. I'm sh- he's from the Diocese of Lincoln, and he is he's known as like the quote porn priest. He is he, he the is, one that does integrity restored? He might be. Yeah, I I I, think, I, so. I, gonna, I think it's okay. okay. Yeah, you talk, I search. Go on. Okay, so l- last Monday. Uh, evening, I'm like sitting there. Actually, I'm I'm laying. I'm just laid down to go to bed, and I get a text from my friend Father Jay, and Father Jay says, "Hey, tomorrow, Father Sean Kilcali is doing a a day long presentation for the priests on helping people with pornography addictions." And I just talked to him. He said he's fine. If you want to come, would you like to come tomorrow? So I change all my schedules and everything, and and I go to this presentation, and it was absolutely fantastic but what was very interesting especially speaking to what you just said is how he saw the charisma as the answer to a pornography addiction and what he said is basically that one of the key issues right with uh walking with someone and his whole point is like it's an accompaniment right it's an evangelization accompaniment someone who has an addiction he said to preach the gospel into that wound, to preach the gospel into that misunderstanding, to preach the gospel into that rift that a person has because of this addiction is the secret uh, to walking someone into wholeness. And it shouldn't be shocking or surprising. I mean, it, it, it was a little bit shocking or surprising because I think a lot of us think like, man, that's a major problem. We need more than just preaching the gospel. And of course, like I'm oversimplifying it, but his point is, look, sin is the problem. The gospel is the answer to sin. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil, right? That's, that's, that's what this is all about. And, and so preaching the gospel into that void is what he said basic. I mean, he's a huge fan of the 12 steps as yeah. well, okay? But, but he is very much all about the charisma being the answer to uh, the problem and your point of speaking the charisma into universalism and universalism, the heart of it is like, well, sin doesn't matter, right? And even if sin matters, is there anything we can even do about it, right? Is there anything that anyone can do about it? And his answer is a resounding yes, 
you can preach the charisma into that. And yes, it does work. And uh, you see beautiful things. Oh, that is awesome. Preaching the charisma. Uh, I think one of the things about the charisma that we lose sight of when we preach the basic gospel message, it is what God did for us. Start there. What God did for us. And when you understand what he did for us, then you can begin to say, I respond by reciprocating. What he did for us, I will do for him and for others. And what he did was rooted in the single most great, the single greatest act of love that a human being has, or <laughs> someone with a cre- uh, an adopted human nature. No, um, no. <laughs> Heretic. Heretic. Light the fires. <laughs> no human being has done more for us than what Jesus Christ, true God and true man, did for us on that cross and by his resurrection. But the twin things of the cross and resurrection are proof that sin, number one, is destroyed by God, and number two, can no longer define us. And I think people lost in practical universalism don't have access to either of those. They think you're okay, I'm okay. Sin's not that big a deal. You know, it's it's really about positive self-image. It's about the, and it's like, no, 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 no. I don't have positive self-image as a Christian. I have positive divine image, right? Like God revealed the divine image and he repristinated it within me through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The death means that sin has been destroyed. The resurrection means that, yeah, I too can be healed, that there will one day be a day when I will triumph. I, I interviewed Christopher West the other day on uh, Catching Foxes. Yeah. And he has this great line that says uh, that he was quoting from G.K. Chesterton. He said, the soul of Christianity is the body, the body of Jesus. I love it. The body of the Eucharist, the resurrection of your body. And then so when I asked him, do you have any final parting words for our audience? He said, yes, Easter is coming up. Meditate on really what it means that God died and then rose in the body. And when you think about that, it's it's everything. Oh, how yeah. can That's how so can awesome. someone be in communion with porn and you know and all the things it does to the body and with the resurrection? That is why St. Paul in First Corinthians chapter six says, Can you can you are members of Christ? Can you then go and become one with a prostitute? Of course not. Right. You know, like that's what sin when you see it in the body, you see what it does to the body. Oh, gosh. There is so much here. I love that. Preaching the charisma into the wound. We, we got to have him on. I mean, I was just... I think my, so. My mouth was just gaping open the entire day because of the stuff he was saying. It was amazing. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Gomer, for your help here. And uh, I hope that... <laughs> I hope all of you universalists out there start, you know... Quaking. Taking, <laughs> take, <laughs> Quaking take your, your sins seriously. I know I do. Uh, and take your salvation more seriously. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. It's been another episode of Every Knee Shall Bow. As always, we're here. Contact us. We love to hear from you. God bless y'all. Adios. Adios.